You are Locked On Horn Frogs. Your daily podcast on the TCU Horn Frogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hey, hey, another fun edition of Locked On Horn Frogs. I'm Stephen Simcox. With me is internet rascal Matt Jennings. That's who, what they call me. Yeah, decided to. You know, it's funny. If you're going to take bets, like neither of us are wild people. I think just compared to most, most folks would not consider myself or Matt like a crazy person or, a, you know, life of the party type of guys. But if you're going to guess out of our kind of immediate friend group, who was most likely to blow up the internet with a TCU football take. I think it might, I'm not sure it would have been you. I think it might've been me, but you took the mantle and I'm proud of you for it. <laughs> uh, how are you, man? Are you doing okay? I'm, I'm all right. Yeah. Okay, you know, good. I'm, I'm, I'm good. You know, it's um, <laughs> this past week has been weird and crazy like you know everyone here probably knows by now I, I i published the gary has to go column on monday and most everybody's reaction to it most everybody like everyone who at least tweeted at me directly of like the the, the vast majority of those folks were like supportive or nice or, or like hey I, I disagree with you on these points but like overall i see your point and like thanks for writing this whatever and I thought that was the end of it. And then I went to work on Tuesday and I looked at my <laughs> phone after I got out of a meeting and my phone was on fire um, because Gary mentioned the piece and me by name, which was just something that I was not expecting to happen. And so, yeah. And so that kind of all spilled out into a fun thing over the course of the rest of the week. So um, I'm still here. Um, and I wouldn't say that my... Uh, peace looks worse after Saturday I'll say that right uh I wish I wish Gary would use some of this chip on his shoulder that he's been taking to every press conference this year to to the games <laughs> like he was <laughs> he was real terse before the SMU game I remember listening to that press conference and I mean he wasn't getting into it with folks but you can kind of tell he was short he just didn't really want to be there he was ready to get on the field I think he was kind of tired of SMU talking smack that didn't do anything. Uh, he's gone after either inadvertently or advertently. Like he's gone after Bijan Robinson in Texas and they're used to him. He's now gone after you. But I mean, if we're going to be that way, like let's win some games. Like let's use it <laughs> as motivation, brother. Um, but it hasn't worked out. And I will also say, Matt doesn't need me to defend him. So I won't spend a long time doing it. But a lot of you folks that were like, talking noise during the week about the piece and oh he's you know it's it's too much and clutching your pearls about protecting Gary Patterson and putting the cape on for him like y'all were trying to fire him after that game Saturday <laughs> so you know like let's just be real about it and and you know what like it's chill it's like it's it, it legitimately is fine like people can feel however they want to feel about what I wrote I really like I you know, I just wanted to share how I felt. And if you liked it, great. If you didn't like it, you know, thanks for at least hearing me out. And like, mm -hmm. honestly, that's fine. The thing about it that was really just funny was the fact that Gary called so much attention to it. And then by Nate, by virtue of him calling attention to it, like 
other people like picked up like other people picked up on it and 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 referenced it either like on twitter or in you know pieces that they wrote or whatever and it's just like you you didn't need to acknowledge me because i'm not credentialed media y'all like i'm just some yeah. guy like steven and i record this podcast like i'm sitting in my basement right now like literally I yeah am, you're a blogger I'm, li- I'm literally a blogger although some one person did this week refer to me as an essayist instead and i like that terminology <laughs> a little bit better um i'm not a blogger i'm an essayist but no seriously like i'm nobody like he did not need to bring it up if he wanted to send me an angry dm about it that would have been fine and that's cool and no worries um he you know it's one of those things you give more oxygen to it and you make a bigger deal about it and then in that week when you talk when you when you talk all this mess about um you know you know this piece that you didn't like that was calling for your job um and then you go out and lay an egg like that you know people are sitting here wondering it's like it would be one thing if you did that and they came out and they blew the doors off west virginia by 30 and then i'd be the one who looks idiot and i and i would eat my crow like it's fine like i would i would 100% be up for doing that it's one thing to do that it's another thing to like put out that reaction and come out and just like get like just be kind not like you don't score a touchdown on on uh you don't score a touchdown in the second half against mm-hmm. uh the problem what we thought was the second worst team in the league coming into the weekend and instead tcu might be the second worst team in the league um so that's a sobering thought coming out of the weekend so super fun great prioritization by gary patterson this week that was the funniest thing about the reaction from people to your piece is i saw these folks that were like this is what journalism is in 2020 you know 2021 like matt's not a journalist anymore like he works the day job right or folks were like matt's trying to get clout like how does that work does matt think he's gonna get on sports center to talk about his piece (laughs) on medium about firing Gary Patterson? It's it's medium. It's a blog, y'all. It's really just a blog. I even, like, I've done, you through medium, and this is not a good way to make money because um, you don't make a lot of money doing it, but you can you can turn on, like, uh, you, can, you can turn on, like, metering on a story where it's, like, you know, depending on how many views you get on it, um, mm-hmm. it's, like, a premium content on medium.com, and you can, you can make some money off of it. Um, and I've done it for like one story before and then I like, didn't submit like my tax information to medium. And so then I just like forfeited the $6 that I would have made for that previous story. Um, I didn't turn that on for this story. I like, I would, I, did, I really didn't have an ulterior motive out. It's like, I don't want this to make it look like I'm like doing a cash grab or an attention grab. Like I really just like, I felt like this for a year and a half and I'm, and I'm just like, I really want to write. I, I just wanted to go ahead and get it out there and just like yeah. may the chips fall where they may um no i'm very happy in my in my uh fan sitting in his basement yelling at his television uh position don't intend to 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 give that up anytime soon well you got the clout of some man named anon frog questioning your credentials on you know horn frog blitz so and that's fine. that's that's really the dream that's why we went that's why we took those uh classes in the sports broadcasting department okay so let's talk some tcu football and this is the tcu podcast i do want to get this out of the way we want the frogs to do well. Like that is, that is something that we would like to happen, uh, but they, they're not doing well. So we have to keep talking about it. Um, so I want to go to a decision that happened during the game. I, I try not to harp too much on one play in the course of a game. I think it's sort of a silly exercise, but to me, this was sort of a microcosm of last night. And in some ways, just the general malaise around the program. 
So TCU's driving before halftime. They're down 20 to 14. Uh, a holding penalty sets them back. So they have third and goal at the 18. Max hits Savion Williams on a crossing pattern. He gets down to the two-yard line. So not in the end zone, but it did set up fourth and goal at the two. And TCU had already gone for it earlier in the game on fourth and goal from the four. And they scored a touchdown on that play. Max Duggan hooked up with Tay Barber. So if you score a touchdown in that situation, you take a lead 21 to 20 into half. Now, obviously, there is the risk that you end up with no points. And West Virginia got the ball to open the second half. But they lined up to go for it. West Virginia called timeout. And then out of the timeout, Gary sends Griffin Kell out to kick a chip shot field goal, which he made. So you're down 20 to 17 going into the halftime break. Uh, TCU would not score again after that, unfortunately, and they lose 29 to 17. But here is here is Gary's explanation on kicking the field goal on fourth and goal right before halftime. We were going to go for it right before the half. We had a play and we knew they wouldn't line up right and they called the timeout and then they were going to line up right because they knew it. We knew they were going to get the ball and didn't want to not score and then it'd be two scores and then they get the ball. So we kicked the field goal. It's pretty easy. We had a good play in the formation we wanted and they called the timeout. So apparently there's only one play that you can run on fourth and goal from the two yard line. <laughs> and if the other team decides to take a timeout and your quick surprise play doesn't work, you can't do anything else. You can't go to another play. It's only two yards. I mean, like I, there's a lot of options there. It's essentially a two point conversion. You could do something really simple. like hand the ball to Zach Evans. You could do something more complicated, but the one play they wanted to run got foiled by a timeout. So he decides to trot the field goal team out there. And like, I don't know, even if they score TD there, Matt, they go up 21, 20. I don't know if that would have mattered in the grand scheme of things. Good chance. They still lose the game, but it was emblematic of a conservative approach. That's not working a weird explanation after the game that makes no sense. And it like it took the there wasn't a packed house there yesterday anyway, but I was there with my son and it took the air out of that place really fast when the field goal team trotted out there to cut that to a three point game because everybody sort of knew, oh, boy, this is this is probably the wrong decision in this situation. Yeah, and it's the. I don't want to. I don't want to, like, keep bringing back up the like the Gary rant from the week but like one right. piece of that that he brought out was he was like well we're not a conservative offense and we can talk about the offenses like results from Saturday in a set like the overall results from Saturday in a second um but he's like we're not a conservative offense that's what that's there's a quote from him from Tuesday um I can quibble with you about scheme and coaching philosophy and stuff. I don't really, I think that they are too conservative at times in terms of like the way they scheme things up, but like they've been more open this year. They've tried some different things. They've all like, that's all great. I, I have liked what they've done scheme wise more this year that and it has looked less conservative in terms of play selection and play design and stuff. That's all great. You want to look at me and say, on fourth and two, excuse me, fourth and goal from the two with, with the half closing down and you've got the defense on their heels and you've got Zach Evans and or Kendra Miller or Max Duggan who can all carry the ball 
and you don't trust any of them to get two yards and so you're going to kick a field goal. That's conservative to me. That's, that's overly conservative to me. And to your point on the, on the formation thing and the like, you know, you got to have more than one thing. And this is a normal thing that happens, right? Like when you line up for a play in a key situation, the expectation is in a lot of cases that the other team is going to see how you line up and then call a timeout, try and get the preview of how you're lining up and then get a timeout, talk about it, and then throw their personnel out there in, in with the right call to counter what they think you're going to do based on that formation. That's not an unexpected thing that happens multiple times throughout every game. Mm-hmm. Right. So you should have contingencies in place for that, right? Either you should be able to, to your point, have another play in your back pocket that you trust. Even if it's like, I wouldn't have liked it, but quite frankly, like call, like audible and call a, a, a audible into it, like just a fade to Quentin Johnston, like, and try something, try Mm -hmm. something. I'm, I'm generally not in favor of goal line fades, but as I've said before, if there's somebody going to do it with, Quentin Johnson's a pretty good guy to do it with, you know, do something uh, rather than just like, oh, well, they, they call the timeout. They, they they caught us. I guess we got to go. I guess we got to, you know, settle for three points here. It was just, yeah, to your point, it was just, you got to have, you got to have a contingency plan. You got to have something in your back pocket. And ultimately you got to trust that even when the other team knows what you want to do, you have to trust that you've got the personnel that you can still execute. Right. So are you yeah. that distrusting of your players and of your coaching staff that you don't think that even when the other team has an idea of what you might want to do, uh, you don't trust them to get two yards? The other thing about that, disguise it, right? Like I know we're running, you were, you were, you were late in the half. You couldn't have done this pre-timeout. But after the timeout, line up in one look. And then as, as you're getting ready to snap the ball, shift and show them a different look. And, and get and catch them off guard with pre-snap motion. Like do, again, do something. Waving the white flag there. And you're like, oh, well, they, they call a timeout. There's no possible thing that we could drop ourselves in this, in this 30 second timeout to counter what we think they're going to do. We are entirely at the opponent's mercy. It's that sort of like defeatist conservative attitude that I think a lot of people are uh, annoyed with frustrated with pick an adjective right yeah and the offense in general last night I mean they scored 10 points Darius Davis had a kickoff return for a touchdown in the opening kick um I was just looking at this as as you were talking there they had eight drives where they were in West Virginia territory last night and they came away with 10 points on the day there were some interceptions Max did not have his best game um there were a couple plays on drives in the first half where you know, he had like fourth and five, the West Virginia 40 had fourth and nine after a jet sweep that, Lord help, everybody else runs jet sweeps in the country. It gets five or six yards. ECU does it. It's like minus seven most of the time. But um, what did what do you think happened other than some miscues turning the ball over? Uh, because this was the unit that everybody had optimism about after the Oklahoma game. Okay, it's coming around. They're scoring 30 plus points in most of their games. West Virginia has a solid defense. They're fundamentally sound. Bill Brown's a good coach. That's what he does. Uh, but obviously you thought they had the playmakers to be more explosive than they were on Saturday. Yeah. I think it's a combination of 
two things. It, one is to your point, West Virginia is a good defense. West Virginia is a better defense than Oklahoma is. That's why they were kind of able to pull Oklahoma like kind of down into the mud a little bit when they played them. Um, and I think that I think that game wasn't. I think the final of that of that Oklahoma West Virginia game was like in the teens. Like they're able to yeah. like that's something they can do. So credit to them, a hundred percent. I think the other part of this is, and this is not unique to TCU, and it's not unique to the offense. Everybody has a game or two a year where things just like don't things just don't click like just stuff doesn't line up right guys are dropping passes guys are missing blocks and like you just don't play your best game the question is how are you do you have the ability to with to withstand that to weather that and still come out with a win um and as we've seen, like TC, we said this, we've said this many times, like TCU's offense is not ideal, but it has not been the problem this year. The defense has been the problem. And the fact that the first time this year, the TCU offense just kind of really just like didn't have things click in. Um, it, it put them in, an, it, it put them in a really horrible spot because the offense is still bad. The offense let Jarrett Dagey, who like God love him, but like Jared Day has not been a good quarterback this year uh, for West Virginia. Made him look really, made him look really good at times. Um, and the you know the defense just blew coverages again, and like Letty Brown had like wide open lanes thrown through, you know. And so, you know, when you lean so heavily on one side of the ball, and that side of the ball inevitably has just like it's just a bad game. It happens. Um, you got to be able to withstand that in some way. And they aren't equipped to do that in terms of the why yesterday, the turnovers obviously kill you. Um, you know, the, in terms of, uh, you know, Max Duggan, the first interception, I feel like he probably should have put it out a little bit further out in front of Quentin Johnston. It probably wasn't the best decision, but it could have made it work. And the defenders made a great play. The second one, he just like airmailed it bad. And not only did he overthrow Quentin and result in interception, but he put Quentin Johnson in, in harm's way in terms of he could have gotten hurt on that play because he got bulldozed while the guy was making an interception. And yeah, it was, it was not a, you know, it was not Max Duggan's after a week after we had, we had what we called maybe his best game. We have, a, he has a game where, you know, he has, a, he has some crucial turnovers and you got people in the crowd, I think unjustly like calling for him to get benched. And it's just, you know, but how are, are you equipped to withstand that when that game comes around? Because like we, we said this before, we know what Max Duggan is. We know he's an imperfect quarterback. Can you make do when he inevitably has a game like this where like he has some, he has some inaccurate or some just bad decisions? Can you weather that? And TCU is not equipped to weather that because of all of the things on offense and defense that we've already talked about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really don't know what to say about the defense at this point. I mean, it's week seven. Uh, West Virginia's offense is bad. Tech held them to 23 points. Oklahoma held them to 10 points. Uh, TCU played better in the second half, but, like, West Virginia did whatever they wanted, you know? Like, they threw the ball. They ran the ball. I just it, It's not getting better. Like, it, it hasn't gotten better. There's still miscommunication in the secondary. Even Corey Bethley back, there's still just gaping holes up front. Uh, run fits are not there. It's it's a mess. And even even when some of the on the let's talk about the back end of the defense and the secondary for just a second. Sometimes 
some of these breakdowns we've talked about this before right they're inexperienced uh, they've, they've got young guys in the secondary or transfers and there's miscommunication there were a couple instances yes uh, on saturday that it's not a, there's a difference between i didn't know where i was supposed to be lined up i didn't know who i was covering or i thought when this guy broke off his route here i was supposed to pass it off to this guy and I was wrong. And so therefore this guy's running free because he was supposed to have somebody on him and he doesn't. That's mm-hmm. different than I know my assignment. I'm lined up against this guy and he just beats me. Like I just get smoked. And that was happening too. That's the thing is it's not just the miscommunication. It's like, even when they're lined up, right. Even when they know their assignments, you got players in that secondary that are still getting beat like a drum. And there's you, like, what do you do? when tj carter knows his assignment and he knows he's covering the seven route and the guy just comes out of his break and just like leaves him behind and is just wide open and gets an easy 15 to 20 yard completion like what do you do in that scenario as a coach or as or as or as another player on that defense like it's i I don't know you're so it that's the thing that's is it's is it's not just miscommunication it's not just scheme. It's not just talent. It's not just personnel. It is all of the stuff at the same time. And so it's really hard to problem solve for any one thing because it won't fix the whole thing. Well, and, and the one thing that they've always been able to do is force negative plays. There was one play in the first half last night, Matt, where West Virginia went backwards, and it was because of a false start. Everything, like, they're not even forcing third downs. And if they are, it's third and two, it's third and four. I mean, it's just bad. It's just bad all around. Um, So, I saw uh, Bill Conley, who works for ESPN now. He was at SB Nation for a long time. He put out the uh, FPI percentages for a bunch of different teams to be bowl eligible. TCU's sitting at 45%. Um, the remaining schedule, K-State on the road this week, at home against Baylor, um, at home against Kansas, on the road against Oklahoma State, on the road against Iowa State. You know, your next three are probably the best chance to, to win three and get to six wins. Beat K-State on the road, uh, get a victory over... Baylor, and then there might be KU might be down the road. There, Oklahoma State might be before that. I, I don't have the schedule in front of me. But bottom line, K State, Baylor, Kansas are the three games that look most winnable. But Baylor's pretty good. I mean, Gary's owned them as of late, but they look like a good football team. They can run the ball. Um, I don't see it right now. I, I think four and eight, maybe five and seven, and. I mean, I don't want to keep coming back to this. And last night, a lot of fans were talking about, you know, Gary stepping down or Gary moving on. What does that look like? And uh, the conversation was kind of like, well, the people in charge are going to let him play his contract out, which would be through 2024. But if you go, if you miss, if you're not bowl eligible in two of the last three years, and really last year you were bowl eligible, but you didn't get to play because COVID. I mean, Matt, like anywhere else in the country at a Power 5 job, we're at least having serious discussions. I mean, this this is a mess. Like, this is not even – 
this is not even a team that's inexperienced and is rallying towards the end of the season. Maybe they will. I don't know. I mean, they still got five games. But, man, it looks it looks pretty dark right now. It doesn't look like a group that's going to figure out how to win three or four games and, and have a respectable end of the season. If you remember, you know, last year, they were one and three after mm-hmm. the Oklahoma game. They were, yep. And then they went to Baylor and won. Well, they looked like they were going to win big, and then they kind of held on. They come home, they beat Texas Tech. They had the just kind of, again, another embarrassing one against West Virginia, and they reel off three straight to end the year against Kansas, Oklahoma State, and Louisiana Tech. And as we've said many times, they kind of reeled off a lot of that, with the exception of Oklahoma State, who was top 15 at the time that they played they were really kind of beaten up on the bottom half of the conference and then threw in a, uh, an extra game, scheduled an extra game against the Louisiana Tech team that was fine. Not really up to their level talent-wise last year. And so that kind of like was a chance. Like they definitely looked like they were improving down the stretch to your point, like they were rallying. But it was a little bit of smoke and mirrors because of who they were playing. Now, this year, not only do you not, Hat, like we're past the point of one and three. Okay, now we get a chance to go five and one down the stretch. Like they're sitting here at three and four. Like we're further on down the stretch of the season. And you have, um, I haven't looked at the polls yet today, but I can only imagine you've got at least two, probably three top 25 matchups left down the stretch in Baylor and Oklahoma State and Iowa State, Kansas State for as like uneven as they have looked at times this season um they're coming off a uh, a comeback win against texas tech and i think chris Kleiman's a good coach kansas like showed a real pulse against oklahoma i don't think what they did against the sooners is necessarily sustainable i don't think they can do it again where they're like let's possess the ball for 45 minutes and keep and play keep away the whole time and win like i don't i don't think that's something you can expect to do every week but like TCU's defense isn't good enough to necessarily keep them off the field necessarily uh, good enough to, to get them up. Like I'm not, I'm not thinking bowl game, man. I'm not thinking, I'm not thinking about that right now. I'm thinking how do you avoid finishing second to last, if not last in the league right now? And I know that sounds a little, I don't think they'll actually finish last in the league. I think Kansas, I think they'll beat Kansas, but like, I'm trying to think, how do you not finish ninth? That's what I'm trying to think about. And I'm having trouble seeing it you know like to your point like bowl game like that's that spot in the pyramid we were talking about last week and i'm just not i'm not seeing it like i know to your point gary gets him up for baylor every year i you know i think that game will be competitive even if baylor's a vastly better team this year and they are but you know i just don't if west virginia looked like one of the two most winnable games on the schedule coming this past week and not only did they not win they really didn't once they got down in uh, once they once to your point once they kicked that field goal in the second to end the first half they didn't really put up a whole lot of a fight no and i mean the thing that gary's been able to do with baylor last year that team was a mess so i mean kind of throw that one out but in the rule era he just made it a, a slot fest and it was a defensive game and you know they they won on the road, they should have won at home. John Mayer's made like a 56-yard field goal or something stupid to send it overtime. But anyway, all that being said, they don't have the personnel to do that this year. They, like, they're not going to hold Baylor to 14 points. Like, it's just not going to happen. 
um, barring something amazing. So it's, it's just going to be a different game. We'll have to see how that plays out. Uh, okay, to close out here, we have some audience questions. Um, this is from Doug, whose handle is at Sugary Dude. I like that, Doug. Uh, he says, what is A.D. Jeremiah Donati's responsibility in this for the whole athletic program? It makes me mad that Baylor has champions in basketball and has hired two good football coaches, yet we are in the freaking DFW Metroplex and we're struggling. Um, okay, so let me say this about Jeremiah Donati. I don't know a lot about him, honestly. You know, he's like he's he's been pretty – um, unassuming, which is not a bad thing for an athletic director. Uh, what is his role in this? Well, to a certain extent, he's supposed to hold people accountable. But in this particular situation, it's really more about do the money people, are they going to raise the funds to get a some sort of buyout package going that would uh, lead to a, a retirement situation? that that's that's what has to happen you know if jeremiah donati wants that to happen can he go advocate for that pursue that yeah he can um one thing i think they do miss chris del conte was a very established ad he had been in the business for a long time and i just think when he I think he commanded the room a little bit, you know? Um, and, I mean, it's not Jeremiah's fault. He's had me on the job that long. So, I don't I don't know what the uh, – I don't know what him and Gary's relationship looks like. But his role, if he wanted to get this kick-started, would be to go to the people that could make this happen financially. But I'll let you tackle that question, Matt. I mean, no, you, 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 you got it. They, I, who, uh, Chip Stewart, who is a professor at, at TCU and is a, is a cool guy who's my law and ethics professor in the journalism school. And he's great. Um, he made the point last week that he, and I, it doesn't really feel this is before the West Virginia game, obviously, but it doesn't really feel like Donati or Chancellor Victor Boschini are like super interested in having this, conversation right now because there's a lot of stakes to it right Boschini is like really late in his career like I, I don't know how much longer he intends to be a, an administrator in higher education um so like what's the benefit for him at this point in his career to try and like shake things up again um Donati on the flip side is at the very front end of his career as an AD what is the what's the cost benefit analysis for him for trying to trying to push the winningest coach in school history out. He would need, I think, I'm not in the rooms. I don't know what his perception among the boosters really is. To me, from an out from an outside perspective, it seems like he would need a lot, to your point, would need a lot of support, a lot of not just financial, but like moral support um like solidarity from the deep pocket big money donors to say we are all rowing in the same direction here in that we agree that there is a need for a change um and until you know until that is obvious 
I just don't think that there's enough of a benefit for Donati because this is the thing it's high risk for him. If he may, he, yeah. he elects to make this move and then he makes the hire and the hire doesn't immediately pan out. He's on the hot seat, right? Cause he doesn't have the goodwill and the, and the command of the room to your point that Christel kind of had, cause he doesn't have the track record, you know, his track record to this point is getting into a staring contest with Jamie Dixon and kind of winning but then tcu kind of maybe coming out worse for having won that staring contest and uh, uh and promoting kirk Sarles to to head coach when schloss uh, decided to go to AM, which tbd on whether that could be an amazing hire that could be perfect i, I honestly don't know um that's his and, and raising money uh, helping finish the fundraising and the construction of the suites on the um uh on the, the the new suites in the stadium um that's kind of his track record at this point i don't know he hasn't had to make a decision of this magnitude that would have this far-reaching implications yet and yeah i'm not sure if he wants to i don't know about enough about him to know if he would want to but um it would be a high cost and high risk thing for him to do so he's got to he would need to know that he has the backing of those of those boosters before he made that move and TBD on whether or not those boosters feel that way. Um, I know that at least in, to your point, based on reporting from Jeremy Clark from 247 Sports and other places, it feel, the, the, it, the feeling at least in the football program is that Gary is sticking around to the end of his contract. Mm-hmm. I'd have no idea if people outside the building are going to make moves to make something different happen. I, again, I'm just a fan in a basement, so I don't know. Well, I guess we'll find out. And finally, uh, Tommy and Brandon Phillips asked similar questions. So I'm going to kind of combine them into one, but please know that your questions are each individually of equal importance to me. And I appreciate you chiming in on the show, but uh, it's essentially who are some of your names um, for a potential next head coach? if and when that decision was made. Um, I, I'll defer to Matt a little bit on this because I don't have as fully formed of a list as he does because I haven't been le- thinking about this for very long. But, um, you know, some popular names that will come up. Jeff Trailer's doing a heck of a job at UTSA. Um, big pros for him. Former high school football coach in the state of Texas. Has great, great deep relationships with uh, other coaches in the state. Um, UTSA other than early on with Larry Coker, hasn't really done anything, and he's got them rolling. I will say I think the jump from group of five to power five is a big one. And as of late, the success in the track record hasn't been fantastic. And Jeff has not been a head coach for very long, but he's a hot name. He's going to come up, especially in jobs in the state of Texas, if they're open. Um, Chadwell at Coastal Carolina, he's done a fantastic job. Uh, Jeff Halfley at Boston College. Justin Fuente is a no for me now, and he might be gone at Virginia Tech. I don't know. Um, but he does have ties here, obviously being the offensive coordinator. But, Matt, I'll let you hit some of the people on, on your list that you're most intrigued by. Yeah, I mean, I think Trailer is number one on the list for a lot of, you know, armchair arm quarterbacks like us, right? Um, you know, from his connections in, in Texas, I can't remember who I – read who wrote this um 
someone, but someone wrote this recently. It might've been at ESPN where someone was saying, laying out, it, you know, it, it was, it was an, it was an ESPN piece. It was talking about trailer as a candidate for other jobs. And part of the, one of the things was, was talking about, he is, um, he is the most respected and connected current sitting uh, head coach in Texas among those Texas high school coaches. They're like, and they, and they, and they made a point in saying the story, Gary's probably, Gary Patterson's probably second. Jeff Trailer's probably first. And so if you're talking about needing to recruit in Texas, needing to um, make good on the, on the DFW Metroplex as a recruiting ground for you, which is something that I think TCU is trying to do and has wanted to do and, and has had degrees of success doing, I think that would be a great move in that regard. When he was an assistant at SMU and Chad Morris moved on to Arkansas, he was up for that job and he was well-respected in terms of the job. I believe he was the interim there uh, when mm-hmm. Morris left and was su- and like there were like there were players there that were like we want trailer and then obviously they decided to go with Sonny Dykes and Seddons and the trailer decided to go with Morris to Arkansas and obviously the Dykes hire worked out great for SMU um, but the fact that he was you know really beloved by those players and his and the results on the field at each place that he's gone as an assistant head coach and, and as a running backs coach um, have been good um, you know I you know SMU and then Arkansas now now the UTSA um, he, to me, he seems like the, a really, really easy choice, um, a choice that seems like it would be hard to go wrong. Um, I think Texas Tech is, the, is, is the, the interesting wrinkle here because they seem like they could also be looking to make a move soon, probably sooner than TCU and move on yeah. from Matt Wells. And if that's the case, like he's also a no-brainer for them. Like he would probably, like I, I know for a fact that a ton of teams, excuse me, a ton of, uh, Texas Tech fans are like, we want Trailer, we want him first. He's our he number one on the list, so he's one to consider. Um, but if you're going to do it, you got to you 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 got to move fast. And I'm not and to our to all this conversation we've had before this point, I don't think TCU wants to move that quickly. Chadwell is also on the list for me for everything you've already said. The level of success that he has at Coastal Carolina, their first loss of the season was on Thursday against App State, but but prior to that point, you know they they had a you know a top fifteen season last year they were undefeated this year up until i can't like they they and their offense is fun it's innovative everyone who talks about their offense who watches them talks about like how their offense is like three years in the future ahead of everybody else in terms of like all the, like the fun different play action and option and rpo concepts that they do um which i just personally would love as being someone who's had to watch tcu football play offense since 2018 um so he's up there Here's a name that I, I think TCU fans will have a visceral reaction to. Um, and I don't think will actually happen. Honestly, though, Sonny Dykes. Like, really? The success that he has at SMU has been, has been really, really incredible. He's 2-0, he's, he's 2-0 in his last two games against TCU. Um, he's doing something right. And um, he's not 2-0 overall against, SMU, against TCU. I know that. Please don't at me. Um, but he's won two in a row he's uh he's putting he his team might be the best team in texas yeah baylor might be better um baylor's probably better but he's one of they've been great this year and they've been great for a couple years and i'm a little concerned with how much he's kind of had to fill his roster out with transfers that's the one thing that's concerning to me but he's a guy who's coached at tcu before he's a guy with with texas connections he's a guy who we know can put together a coherent offense um all of that works for me 
Um, yeah, to your point, Fuente is not an exciting hire to me, but he feels like of the external candidates, seems like the one that would be the easy choice. The easy choice is not necessarily the right choice. Mm-hmm. Um, other random names, I think, um, I think Graham Harrell, the offensive coordinator and former at USC, former Texas Tech quarterback, is an interesting name. Obviously, they have not played as well this season, so the shine is kind of come off him a little bit. But I think uh, the results that he has put together prior to the season were encouraging. Um, uh, Jeff Grimes, the offensive coordinator at Baylor, is an interesting name. The success they're having this season, the success he had at BYU before then. And then if you're looking at internal candidates, I know I've said on this podcast before, I think Paul Gonzalez is an interesting candidate. I think the results that they, that the DBs have had this season have taken the shine off him a little bit. Um, but I think if you want somebody who's going to keep the same scheme, who's going to be a culture fit, who's going to be feel the most like, like a continuation of the Patterson era, but also be something that's a change. Um, that's a pretty good one. Malcolm Kelly the wide receivers coach, the results he's put in with that position group, both in terms of on-field development and in terms of recruiting, I think kind of speaks for itself. You also keep yourself from having to lose him to Oklahoma at some point, which, which if there was ever a job that he would leave for, it would be if Oklahoma called him for an assistant job at some point. So those are the names that come up immediately. I think what's probably going to happen at some point is I think Gary's going to have input on who the next guy is and he's going to willingly step down, but it's probably not going to be for a while and he's going to want to have input. And if he has input, I think more likely is that it ends up being let's hand the ball, let's, let's hand the baton to, to Chad Glasgow, which is a less exciting hire to me. Or um, that's not an against Chad Glasgow. I just I know very little about the guy because again, Gary keeps his insistence in the ball. That's a different conversation. Or you go and get Fuente, which also because he was the OC in the Rose Bowl 10 years ago, which sure, okay, fine. I just, I, Again, not something that's super exciting, especially given how the last few years at Virginia Tech. If you would have told me that Justin Fuente would be the head coach at TCU, you would have told me that in 2016 or 2017, mm-hmm. I would have feel very, very differently because of the yeah. results. You know, they went to, I believe they got to the ACC title game his first two years there. I might be making, I know, I know they, they went one of those years. That's a much more exciting thing at that point than it is here now on the kind of the tail end with kind of seeing how things kind of fall, fell apart for him, especially once Bud Foster um, uh, his, the longtime defensive coordinator, Frank Beamer, um, decided that, uh, he wanted to leave the program. So. And on that high note, we will end <laughs> locked on horn frogs. It's, it's, it, it's tough, man. It's, it's, it's been a tough week. It's been a tough week, but Hey man, you know, it's all, it's going to be okay. You know, we're it we, is. We, your point. We all want TCU to be good. We yep. all t- want TCU to be better. And we've all got somewhat differing ideas of exactly how to make that happen. But I think we all understand that there's a change that needs to be made. So if we can all start rowing in the same direction in terms of what making a change and then working through what that change looks like, maybe we can make something happen. I don't know. Maybe so. K-State this week. We'll see. There's a sentiment. uh, And I'm sorry, if you're tired of this kind of topic of conversation, I get it. But honestly, with the team right now, I don't know what to talk about. Because as I said, the defense is bad. The offense is better than they've been, but they can't get out of their own way sometimes. But we're going to cover it all Monday through Friday, as we have been doing for weeks. Thank you, Matt, for joining us. As always, this is Locked on Horn Frogs, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day.